Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Especially if you're new or just visiting with us this morning, we are so glad that you could be here with us. My name is Julie. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we've, my husband Joel and I have been on a little bit of a parental leave as we welcomed our daughter into our family at the end of October. And before we get started, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you for all of your support over the past few months. Uh, I know so many of you have been praying for us and with us. You have been filling in for us while we've been gone uh, and bringing meals and so many other things. And so we just want to say a huge thank you. We are so, so grateful for all of your support. Okay, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump into our Advent reflection today. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this morning and for this chance to uh, reflect on joy. Seeing the kids sing this morning, um, being able to gather in community and to worship you together, Lord, would you bring that spirit of joy with us? Would you fill us today with that so that we may, um, as the prayer we said earlier, overflow, that joy would overflow into the lives of those around us. Would you help us to hear what you have to say to us this morning uh, through your word and be with us? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so when I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota, they have this, at least when I was there, they had this really intensive welcome week process. So they have all the freshmen come a week early, and they have all of these activities and things that you do to just get you acclimated, to help you make friends, to get your, know your way around campus, all that kind of stuff. And on the very first day, one of the things they had us do is they got everybody from your floor together, and you had to play this sort of like um, name recollection game. So it's sort of to help you learn the names of all the people that you were going to be living near. And if any of you have played something like this before, I was struggling to figure out the words to how to describe the game. But basically how it works is that the first person says their name, and they pick an adjective that starts with the same letter as their name and in some kind of action to go with it. And then the next person has to repeat what the first person said and then add their own and so on and so forth until you get to the end. And I was maybe like halfway through this like, you know, long line of people. So I'm sitting here kind of panicking. I'm thinking, these are all people that I'm going to have to live near for the next year. And this is the first impression I'm making on them. And I'm trying to come up with an adjective that starts with the letter J that is not going to mortify me for the rest of the year as uh, I'm making my first impression. Has anybody else played this game? Have you ever had to do this at an activity or function? So I'm sitting there, and I have to tell you that there are not a lot of adjectives that start with the letter J. I understand some of you may be like, hey, Julie, my name is even harder. Like, Zach, I feel for you. That's got to be tough. But I've got to also tell you that there are not a lot that start with J, and there are a lot of people who are born the same year as me that have names that start with the letter J, right? Julie, Jessica, John, Justin, Jordan, Joel. I could go on, right? So I'm sitting here. There's already been a few people who have J names, and I'm like, what adjective am I going to use to describe myself? So when it came around to me, the thing I landed on was Jolly Julie. And unfortunately, this did somewhat stick. Some of the friends that I made that first year continued to call me Jolly Julie, especially when I wasn't being particularly jolly at the moment. 
And I bring all of this up because I think around this time of year especially, there is a lot of pressure for us all to feel like jolly people, right? It's the festive season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We're supposed to be filled with Christmas cheer and spirit. And yet, at the same time, research shows us that Americans are five times more likely to say that their level of stress increases during the holidays. And a 2022 survey said that 55% of Americans experience holiday loneliness, so an increase in loneliness around the holiday season. And the National Alliance on Mental Health found that 64% of people living with a mental illness reported that their conditions worsened around the holidays. So not everybody always feels jolly during this season. And as we've been walking through uh, Advent this year, we've been kind of focusing on the different themes of each of the weeks. And so we, uh, we talked about hope the first week. Last week, Joel talked about peace. And this week, the candle is the candle of joy, jolly joy. Uh, and so I want to talk this morning about what it looks like for us to find joy during this holiday season, and also all year long as people who follow Jesus. And traditionally, the passage of scripture that's often read during this week of Advent uh, is associated with Mary. So it's kind of uh, known as Mary's song. It's what she sings or what she says uh, later on in the Christmas narrative. So we're going to be looking at Mary, Mary. See what I did there? Uh, And we're going to look at three different truths that we can apply uh, about joy in our own lives. So we're going to start in Luke 1, verses 46 through 50. If you can follow along with me, I'll have it up on the screen. Or if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along there as well. So, oh, and I have already got a typo up there. This is Luke 1, not Matthew 1. Uh, It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So here in this passage, we see Mary rejoices. She's got that Christmas joy. But in actuality, when you pick up in the story earlier on, when we first see Mary come on the scene, you might see a few other emotions uh, or things that are a little less joyful. So when you read in Luke 1, when the angel shows up unannounced and tells Mary, hey, you're pregnant and you're going to give birth to the Son of God, we see that her initial reaction is understandably a little different. You see words like she was greatly troubled. We see confusion when she asks the angel who tells her, how will this be? And we maybe even see a little bit of resignation at the end when she says, I am the Lord's servant, let it be so. So in that short exchange with the angel, in this very um, unexpected event of finding out that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God, her initial reaction, I wouldn't say, is necessarily characterized by joy. And why wouldn't she be... Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. we think like, okay, well, Mary, this is like a really big role, and she becomes someone in the church who's very well-known and and respected. Why wouldn't she be excited when she first finds out? Well, for women in her time, being pregnant without being married 
would have been seen as a really shameful thing. And it wouldn't just be shameful to her, but it would bring shame on her entire community. They lived in what uh, people call a shame and honor society. Honestly, it's very similar to cancel culture, right? So if you think about it, if someone gets canceled, you don't want to be associated with them. And that's kind of what would happen in this shame and honor society. If Mary had shame brought upon her, it wouldn't just affect her, but it would uh, impact her entire community, her family, her friends, all the people around her. And even though she knew that what the angel had said was true, that she, uh, this pregnancy was from God, she had no way of proving that to anybody else. And honestly, I'm not sure that if she had told me that, that I would have believed her in that moment. So I'm guessing she knew that very few people would believe her, including potentially her fiancé, Joseph, who might want a divorce once he finds out uh, that she's pregnant. She probably knew that her friends and family were going to look at her differently. Basically, she knew that her life, as she knew it, what she was familiar with, would be different. It would be over. So she probably felt all of these things after the angel left, and yet later... As we jump into this part of the story, we see that she says, my spirit rejoices. So none of her circumstances have changed, right? All of the same things are true. And yet now she's saying, I am joyful. I am rejoicing because of what God is doing. And I think that's really the first truth that we can take from this passage about joy. And it's that when it comes to joy, God's promises are greater than our present circumstances. Joy is not based on whatever is going on currently in our lives. It's based on knowing that God is the God who will keep his promises. And we get this clue to this truth in the rest of what Mary says to her cousin Elizabeth. So picking back up in verse 54, she says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary recognizes that even though God has put her in a really difficult circumstance, he is ultimately showing love to his people by bringing Jesus into this world. And her present difficulty, the shame that she feels, the confusion, the hurt that she might be causing in other people's lives, is going to be nothing compared to what is the love that is going to come from God coming to his people and keeping his promises. And not only will Mary get to experience that joy, but everybody else who follows God. So probably through the Holy Spirit, because let's be honest, I'm not sure any one of us would come to this on our own. Mary, even before Jesus is born, understands that true joy comes from Jesus and not anything in her present circumstances. And just because joy doesn't come from our present circumstances, I do want to note that that doesn't mean that we can't ever feel joy in the present. I think sometimes when people say things like, real joy only comes from Jesus, we feel like, okay, so maybe I shouldn't be enjoying anything in life, right? I need to just kind of be stoic and only be joyful when I'm worshiping on Sunday morning. Uh, But really, you know, I can't, I might feel guilty for enjoying any other things in life. And God's not out here trying to make us live a joyless existence. It's not what he wants for us. He would probably have the right to say, only be joyful because of me, and only, you know, remember when I, when you remember that I'm keeping my promises, those are the only times you feel joy. But he doesn't. He actually gives us joy in the present life. 
So for example, depending on who you are, what you like, you might get joy from a really good cup of coffee. Or maybe you find joy in seeing a beautiful view in nature, or in hearing an excellently written or composed piece of music. Whatever it is, whatever those things are that bring you joy in this present life, those things are gifts from God. They're from God the Creator, and they give us this, um, these small joys in the present as well. The way I kind of think about it is it's sort of like a lowercase j joy, and then this uppercase j joy is remembering that God is the one who keeps his promise. And what a gift it is that God gives us these lowercase j joys to enjoy in our life. They get their significance from the God who created us and who created them. And they all point to God. They help us, they're meant to help us remember who it is that we get our actual sense of joy from. But I think all too often in life, when we start to feel joyless in our life, when we feel down, we start to scramble after all of these lowercase j joy items in our life, right? We just want to stack them up. We're like, How, okay, I, I, you know, I need a little treat from Starbucks, or you know, maybe I need to plan a trip because I just got to get out of here, or uh, whatever it is, right? You're, you run after all of these small things that will bring us temporary joy. But unfortunately, even though these things aren't bad, they don't last. That cup of coffee, you're going to finish it. That trip, it's going to come to an end. They're temporary things. Can you imagine if Mary had thought to herself after the angel showed up, oh, wow, this is like really intense. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about this. I think I just really need to take a bubble bath and like eat a piece of chocolate cake, and then maybe I'll feel better about this whole unplanned pregnancy thing. Right? It sounds ridiculous that we would think, we would be like, Mary, that is not going to solve your problems. But yet we do this in our own lives all the time. Instead of looking at the deeper things that are uh, causing us to feel joyless, we just run after these small things, one after another. When really, we should be using these small joys, they're not bad, but we should be using them to point us back to the uppercase J joy that we know of Jesus coming and God keeping his promises. We can use these things to tap into that joy by every time we enjoy them, remembering who it is that created them, who it is that has given us these gifts in our life. I think that Mary found a way to tap into that capital J joy. Even though everything in her life was not going to plan, her present circumstances were really challenging and tough, she found a way to tap in to remembering who God is, that he keeps his promises. She was able to say in all honesty, my spirit rejoices over what God is doing. Now, the other thing that Mary's response teaches us, it's related to this idea that our joy comes from God keeping his promises uh, and not our present circumstances. But it's slightly different, and I think it's worth talking about. And it's this, this is truth, that our joy and pain in our life have to coexist. Because if our ultimate joy is not in our present circumstances, but in the God who keeps his promises and is coming back, then we have to experience joy and pain simultaneously in this life. Because if we get joy from knowing that God is coming back to do something about the brokenness in this world and to fix it, then we have to acknowledge that right now, in the present, there are things that are 
needing to be fixed. There are hard things, there are challenging things that we are going to experience. When you look at the Advent wreath, uh, you'll notice that there are three purple candles and one pink one. And actually, I think we, uh, we've switched one of them. The pink one should be lit today. But um, have you ever wondered why there's a pink candle in there? Right? It stands out, purple, and then there's just this bright pink that kind of pops out of nowhere. And it's that way because the purple is meant in Advent to symbolize uh, repentance. It's also the same color that's used in Lent. It's these times of um, kind of reflection and repentance and acknowledging the hard things in this world. In Advent, we wait and acknowledge the brokenness and the, that we need our Savior to come. So we've got this purple, and then all of a sudden we get this pop of pink. And pink is the, in the liturgical church calendar, the color of joy. And so we see that right in the middle of the darkness and the waiting and the repentance and the lamenting, we get this joy. It reminds us that even in the middle of the darkness, even though there are hard things, we can still experience joy in this life. Let's look further at what Mary says as she continues on in verse 51. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So notice that this is all in past tense, right? She's saying all of these things have happened, but really they haven't yet, right? The world has not uh, been remade into this new image of Jesus. We still have people in our world who are proud, who are narcissistic and do terrible things, right? We still have rulers and leaders that are immoral or corrupt, There are still hungry people who go without what they need in our world today and in Mary's world as she said this. But for Mary, she believed so strongly in the promises of God that Jesus was coming and that that was going to change these things, that it was going to make a difference, that he was going to make everything right. That even though it hadn't happened yet, she was able to live as if it were true. She were able to believe that all of these broken things will be transformed. And because she trusted what God was doing in the world through Jesus, she could have joy even though there was still pain, even though those things hadn't yet been fixed. And if you think about it, having joy in the midst of a broken world is really kind of a radical act. We live in a world right now that thrives on outrage and cynicism. I mean, honestly, you turn on the news or you go on social media, that's the main thing that you might see. And I get it. There are a lot of things to be cynical about right now. There are a lot of things to be outraged about. We ourselves are broken. The world we live in is broken. And that's why we need these seasons like Advent and Lent where we take time to repent and lament and reflect on those things. But if we were to say we can only ever feel joy if X, Y, and Z are fixed, right? Once all the conflict in the world has died down, once this really challenging uh, relationship in my life is fixed, once this uh, season of anxiety is done, then, then I will feel joy. Then we're never actually going to experience joy in this life right now. Because this world is broken and there are always going to be things that can bring us down or things that we need to 
uh, repent about or lament. And so if we only ever say, I can never feel joy until those things are done, then we will never have joy in our present life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle for a life that is marked by cynicism and outrage and anger and never experiences the true joy of Jesus. Instead, we need to make space to see and feel the broken, right? I think we can't erase it and pretend it's not there. But we also need to make space for joy at the same time, just like we see in the Advent wreath. And there's an example of, I think, what this can look like in one of the hymns that we sing here at Red City. So it's called It Is Well. Uh, It's a kind of a familiar one. It was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. It's a great name. And he knew something about the pain and brokenness of this life. So he was a successful attorney and a real estate investor, and he lost a fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. This is a long time ago. So first that happens, then his four-year-old son dies of scarlet fever. And so he thinks to himself, you know what, I think our family needs to take some time, I think we need a vacation. And so he sends his wife and his four daughters on a ship to England, and he plans to join them once he kind of wraps up some of his business and work at home. And while they are on that trip, on that boat, a terrible accident happens, and 200 people lost their lives, including all four of his daughters. His wife, Anna, was the only one who survived the tragedy. So now he has lost everything that he had financially and materially in this world, and then he loses all of his children in a short period of time. If anybody has a reason to be cynical about this life, I think it would be him. So what he does next is he gets on a boat to go to England so that he can meet his wife. And as he's traveling and reflecting on everything that has happened, as he goes past the place where the accident had happened, uh, he's reflecting on the brokenness and the pain, and God brings to him words of life and of comfort. And he wrote them down, and since then they have become a hymn that has been loved by many, many churches since then, including us. If you're not familiar with the words, it says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever's happened to me in my life, whatever my present circumstances... God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the verses go on. I'm not going to show all of them. We're actually going to sing it later, so you'll get a chance to kind of reflect on them. But he goes on, and in one of the verses he talks about, he looks back at what God has already done for him. He looks to Jesus on the cross and remembers the joy that comes from what God has done for him there. And then at the end of it, he looks ahead to what God will do, what God's promises hold. And he says, Lord, haste the day, bring the day quickly, uh, when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trumpet shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. And if you've heard this song before, it's this moment in the song is a really joyful uh, verse. The music kind of builds towards it, and you can just sort of feel, at least I can, this release when you get to this, that No matter what is going on in my life in the present, I can trust that at the end, this is what's going to be true. Jesus is coming back, and he is going to make everything new, and I can say because of that, it is well with my soul. 
even when things are hard, even when there is still pain and brokenness all around me. I can make space for joy as well because of who God is. And I think that you can see in how he writes the song that he knows that joy and peace is something that is learned from God, right? He says whatever, um, I think it's something like, you have taught me to say, right? He understands that it's something he has to learn from God, something fought for. It's not just a feeling that kind of comes and goes and, oh, I feel joyful today, but today I don't. It's something that is hard-earned, something that he has to only fully experience in Jesus, and he has to actively choose to lean on that. He's learned what it means to hold space for the pain in his life and to look to Jesus and say, it is well with my soul because of what God has promised and what he will do. And I think acknowledging pain and practicing joy at the same time is not something that our comfort-obsessed world is uh, used to doing, especially around Christmas, right? As I said, we're, we're jolly around Christmas time. You know, we have to have that Christmas spirit. But I think many of us need to hold that space. Maybe you've lost someone close to you, and the holidays bring all of those emotions back up. Maybe... You experience chronic mental or physical illness, and those things don't just turn off during the holidays. Maybe finances are tight right now, and you're just focused on getting by rather than on celebrating. But what would it look like as an act of rebellion against the brokenness in this world to hold on to those hard emotions and to make space for joy at the same time? What would it look like for us to make space in our own lives and our prayers and even in our community and how we care for one another for the hard things and the joy to coexist at the same time? Because Jesus coming into the world, the light dawning in the darkness is a reminder that although there is pain and hardship in this life, there is joy in God keeping his promises. And that brings me to the last thing I want to talk about when we talk about joy. It's that joy is meant to be shared. This is important precisely because pain and joy have to coexist. And so everyone who experiences pain in this world, uh, not everyone gets the chance to experience the joy of Jesus. And we see in these passages, we see that Mary shares uh, her joy with Elizabeth. She goes to her uh, and, and shares these things and talks about how her spirit rejoices. And there's another group of people in the Christmas story who also share their joy uh, when they experience it. So I'm going to look at this one. Uh, It's from Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. So it's again, it's another classic Christmas passage that we often read. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them in the glory of the Lord. These are the shepherds. uh, Shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as which were just as they had been told. So we see the shepherds go, they hear this amazing news, this great uh, news of great joy for all people, and when they experience it and hear about it, they can't stop talking about it, right? It says while they're there, they're talking about how amazing this is and how great it is, and I'm sure that Mary, as like a brand new mom, is like, oh my gosh, you guys, chill out, because she's sitting there, and it even says she pondered all these things in her heart. She didn't join in in all of the, the excitement there was. Uh, she was probably exhausted. But they're so excited they can't stop, right? And then later on it says they returned and started and continued talking about this. They are so joyful about the fact that God is keeping his promises and he's revealed this to them that they can't stop talking about it to everyone around them. And the angel says that this is great news for all people, great joy for everybody, And remember how I said joy doesn't come from our circumstances, but the fact that God keeps his promises. Well, God's promises are for all people, not just those special few who got announcements from angels, and not just for people who grew up in the church and have heard the message their whole lives. It's for all people. In Genesis 12, way back in the beginning of the Bible, God makes his first promise to Abraham. This is what Mary was referencing when she was talking about it. And he says, I will make you into a great nation, And then later on, he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The promise that leads to great joy was always meant to be shared with everybody. It's great joy for all people. And the shepherds know this, right? They experience it, and they can't stop telling everyone they meet about this Jesus who has been born. And when I think about my own life and I think about our world... Right? Our friends and our family are meant to experience the same joy. Our neighbors are meant to experience the same joy. Our coworkers are meant to experience this joy. It's great joy for all people. Have you ever noticed that a lot of famous Christmas stories kind of center on a character who is outraged and cynical about the world around them, and they hate Christmas, and they want nothing to do with it? Right? The Grinch... He starts out disgusted by Christmas, and he ends with his heart growing three sizes, and he celebrates Christmas with everybody in Whoville. Ebenezer Scrooge starts out as a cold-hearted miser who hates Christmas, and he's you know, mean to all of his employees. And in the end, he's this generous friend and employer who can't wait to celebrate Christmas with everyone. Even Buddy the Elf's dad, right? He starts out as a workaholic jerk, and in the end, he's singing Christmas carols and spreading cheer for all to hear. I think it's because we identify with these types of characters. We know what it's like to feel cynical and just over everything, especially at this time of the year. We want someone to bring back that joy and that hope and that peace that comes with Christmas. We want to experience what these characters experience in going from feeling cynical and outraged to understanding the joy that there is to know. And we get to experience that through knowing Jesus, and we have the opportunity to help others experience it as well. We get to share the true joy that lasts longer than a Christmas meal or a Christmas carol. We get to share joy that can change people's lives. So as I wrap up today, I I want us to consider two different things. 
I know that we won't see many of you um, for Christmas Eve next week. I know a lot of people are traveling or visiting family, um, and then therefore we won't see you until next year because we've got another week uh, off of church in there. So I want to leave you with these two things, uh, if you won't be joining us next week, to just consider for the rest of the year for this holiday season. And the first one is, how can you find space for joy in your life and in your faith this holiday season? Whether you're already feeling particularly jolly uh, or whether you are not and having a really hard time tapping into the joy that comes with Christmas. Maybe your present circumstances are really challenging. So how can you find ways to reflect on the God who keeps his promises and brings joy and is coming back? Maybe it's spending time reflecting on the scripture passages we read today. Or maybe it's using those lowercase j joys, some of the festive things about the Christmas season, to point us back to the creator who is keeping his promises and coming back. Whatever it is that you need to do to find joy in this holiday season in a real and lasting way, I encourage you to to pray about that and ask how you might be able to do that this holiday season. And second, I want to ask, how can you share that joy? You know, maybe it's writing a card or sharing a gift with a neighbor. Maybe it's starting a conversation with someone about joy and sharing your own experiences with it. Right? Maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to go preach a sermon to someone about who Jesus is and joy and all of these things, right? Maybe it's that at your family Christmas or at your work holiday party, you ask people, you know, what's something that's bringing you joy right now? And maybe you share a little bit about your own experience. Or maybe you ask them, say, hey, you know, recently I heard a statistic that people are five times more likely to experience stress during this season. You know, have you experienced that? Or, you know, just sort of asking people, getting to a deeper conversation with them and being able to share about where your joy truly comes from. I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit uh, in these, both of these questions and thinking about how you might be able to find joy in your own faith and how you might be able to share that with others uh, over the next few weeks. And as we head into a time of reflection through communion and worship, uh, this is a great way to experience joy. It's a great way to reflect on what God has already done for us as we come to the communion table and remember that although he came into the world as a fragile, small baby, he eventually grew up to be a man who gave his life for us on the cross so that we might experience uh, joy, eternal life, and love through Jesus and through God. So as you reflect on that, I encourage you to think about how that might bring joy. Um, And then uh, through worship, uh, through song, right? If anything, I know that I experienced a lot of joy when the kids were up here singing this morning. And I wonder what it would look like to experience the same kind of joy as we worship together. Um, It's not just for little kids. Joy doesn't have to be something that's only reserved for the littlest uh, people in our community. We're allowed to experience it too. So uh, I'm going to invite the worship team back up here, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we will continue our time of reflection through worship and communion. You don't have to be a member here at Resurrection City to take communion. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus, uh, and you can come up at any time during the songs. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, We praise you and our spirits rejoice knowing that you are a God who keeps his promises, that you are coming back, that no matter what hard circumstances we find ourselves in in this world, that you are ultimately going to make all of those things right and that we can trust in you and we can rely on that and we can allow it to bring us joy. 
that we can make space for the hard and for the good, and that we can experience uh, joy together as a community this holiday season. So please be with us during this time of reflection. Uh, meet us where we are. If, if people in this room need to experience your joy for the first time or for the thousandth time, will you move in their hearts, Lord, to bring them that joy? In your name we pray. Amen.